Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 20, we're going to begin, and we'll read down through verse number 24. Follow along as, as I read out loud. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as we look into your word tonight. And Lord, I ask for your help because I understand that there's nothing in me that will benefit anybody and there's nothing in any of us that will make an eternal difference. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and it's your word that you have said is profitable and will never return void. And so Lord, teach us what we need to know and change us how we need to be changed. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you would agree that good hygiene is important? Yes? All right, good. Uh, I'm glad you raised your hand to indicate such as well. Or else I'd be wondering. <laughs> One of the things that uh, a little child has to be taught is that hygiene's important. Leave a little kid to themselves, how often would they take a bath? Not very often unless you count jumping in the creek. But as a child grows older, they begin to take responsibility for themselves. Part of the, the, the evidence is that they're, that they're getting more mature is that they take the responsibility upon themselves to maintain good hygiene. Things like washing their hands, things like brushing their teeth, things like taking a bath or showering every single time that it's necessary. Sometimes that means daily. Uh, and it's, it's kind of curious to me how uh, all children are different, but there is a big difference between, let's say, boys and girls. Uh, for instance, when we went to summer camp this year, uh, I have it on good authority based on reports from some of the young men that uh, went with our group. And some of the guys in their cabin, the only time they ever, quote unquote, took a bath was when they swam in the creek that week. <laughs> and you think to yourself, that's gross. At least I hope you think that. And, uh, but you got to realize that these are junior high boys, and junior high boys are icky, all right? You hear me, girls? Junior high boys are icky. But you know, as they grow up, hopefully they're going to learn to have a little bit better hygiene, a little bit better uh, taking care of themselves uh, uh, a, little, uh, a little more regularly, you might say. But you know, Jesus pointed out that there's something even more important than keeping the outside clean, and that is keeping the inside clean. In Luke 11, the Bible says, he spake, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Now Jesus was not saying that it was a bad idea to wash your hands, but what he was saying is that it's a bad idea to emphasize exterior cleanliness and ignore interior spiritual cleanliness. And in Ephesians chapter 4, in these verses that we've read, we find instructions about how to maintain what you might call good spiritual hygiene. 
And these verses are actually a close-up view of the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is that process or that action where we are made clean and pure. In Scripture, there are two different kinds of sanctification in general. First of all, there is the positional sanctification. And this is the truth that if you're a Christian, you have been made clean, you have been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord that the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed us from all sin. So that when God looks at us, he sees us as pure and as spotless as the sinless blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is that, that truth that we've been declared sanctified in Jesus. But there's a problem. We don't always act like it. As Christians, there are many, many times where we do not behave in a way that agrees with our identity in Christ. And so there's another kind of sanctification that the New Testament describes that we might call practical sanctification. And that is the process whereby we remove the sins from our life that make us spiritually dirty and we change to be more holy in the way that we act and think. And it is a process. It's not a one-time action. It's something that we must do over and over and over again. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And in these verses, particularly verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 4, we see exactly what the process of sanctification looks like. These verses teach us that we are to put off certain things, we are to purify our minds, and we are to put on other things that are good. Now, for context, we need to understand that this is in contrast to the filthy lifestyle of the lost that's mentioned in the previous verses. Let's, let's go all the way back to verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves of, unto, over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now that's describing how lost people act. They act like sinners because they are sinners. But if you are a Christian, you should not act like that because you have been sanctified through Christ and declared to be a saint, a holy one, through Jesus. And so that's why verse 20 says, but ye have not so learned Christ. In contrast to the way that the unsaved Gentiles live, we who know Christ as our Savior have learned to do better. If so be, verse 21, that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, as Christians, we know better than to live like lost people. But how do we accomplish that, practically speaking? What do we need to do? 
in order to live like God wants us to live. That's what verses 22 through 24 tell us. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, then the Holy Spirit teaches us that we must live differently than the lost live and differently than we lived before we were saved. We ought to live lives that are clean and pure, lives that are sanctified. And to do that, we must follow these three simple steps that are given to us in verses 22, 23, and 24. So let's notice these together tonight. Step number one in the process of sanctification is to put off the old man. Put off the old man. Again, verse 22 says that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Now, when we think about how this works in, and use the illustration of physical cleanliness, we understand that in order to truly get cleaned up, you've got to get rid of the dirt. You've got to get rid of the contaminants. You've got to get rid of the things that are making you filthy. So let's say that you've been working out in the yard on a hot summer day. You've been mowing, you've been weed eating, you've been pulling weeds, you've been mulching, you've been doing all of those different things. Chances are, after a few hours of doing that, you've gotten pretty dirty. And not just you, but your clothes have gotten pretty dirty. They're sweaty, they're covered in grass, they're covered in dirt, they're covered in mulch, whatever it might be. Well, the first step in the process of getting clean would be to put off those contaminants, those things that are making you dirty. And in the same way, there are actions and attitudes from our former way of life, actions and attitudes that are sinful that we need to get rid of if we're going to be spiritually clean. Before salvation, you must understand that sinning came naturally to us. Notice again what verse 22 says. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Paul's pointing us back and reminding us of what we were like before we were saved. Ephesians 2 and verse number 1 describes what everyone is like before they're saved. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had uh, all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is what a lost person is like. They sin because they are a sinner. They are spiritually contaminated because of sin. Now, a lost person sins because that's just what they are. That's just what's natural to them. But if you are saved, sinning is no longer your first nature. You have been given the divine nature of Christ, and therefore, for a Christian to sin, it is against their true nature. Well, then some might ask, well, why do we sin? And that is because we still live on a sin-cursed earth, in a sin-cursed body, so we still have to deal with the effects of sin. We still have the old man hanging around, causing us trouble. That is a Bible phrase that refers to our tendency to go back and do the sinful things that we used to do before we got saved. Every Christian deals with this. 
Another way that the Bible describes it is simply calling it our flesh. Galatians chapter 5 goes to great lengths to describe the struggle that all Christians face between following the spirit or following the flesh. Our flesh wants to sin. The spirit leads us into righteousness. And we choose which are we going to follow. If we're going to be sanctified, then we have to choose to put off the old man in order that we might follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. Any actions or attitudes that are characteristic of a sinful life must be removed from our lives. The Bible gives us a very good idea of what these different actions and attitudes look like. Colossians 3 verses 8 and 9 says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Those are the kinds of actions and attitudes that are characteristic of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's another list of actions and attitudes that are characteristic of lost people, not of saved people. Can a Christian sin? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Should a Christian sin? No, absolutely not. Those are actions and attitudes that we should put off from our lives. Now let's talk for a minute about how do we do this. All right, It's one thing to say we need to put it off, but how are we going to accomplish that? Let me give you a couple of, couple of important aspects of putting off sinful uh, actions and attitudes from our life. First, and, and really one of the primary ways that we do this, is by repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. This is when you identify sin in your life in response to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. You identify that sin you change your mind about it. You confess it to God so that you might receive cleansing. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to, what's the word? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 13 says that we are to confess and forsake our sin and when we do, we will have mercy. There has to be confession of sin. That requires us to repent responding to the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. Some Christians think that repentance has nothing to do with the Christian life, that that's what lost people do to get saved, but once you're saved, you don't have to worry about that anymore. That's not the Bible teaching. In fact, the Apostle Paul went to great lengths in 2 Corinthians to talk to that church there about the right way to repent. And he said that he was glad that they were sorrowing to repentance as a Christian, there are going to be many, many times that you have wrong thinking and you need to change your mind to come in line with the truth of God's word about sin. There has to be confession. There has to be repentance and confession of sin. That's the primary way that we put off the old man. But here's another and very important aspect of putting off the old man, and that is reconciliation. 
Sometimes our sin is against someone else and we need to make it right. And if you've done something and you have sinned in a way that affects someone else, you need to involve that person in the process of making it right and of confessing. You need to go to them and say, I did this, I'm sorry, I was wrong, that was sin, will you forgive me? Reconciliation is very important. It's so important that God says if we will not be right with others, then we are not right with Him. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. You can keep your finger in Ephesians 4. We'll be back there in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse number 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You see, it is of the utmost importance that we be right with others. Being right with God means that we're also right with other people. So putting off the old man involves confession, it involves reconciliation. And then let me give you one more aspect of, of, of putting off the old man. And I'll just summarize it this way. It's going to call, require radical amputation. That's the phrase that was taught to me many years ago to describe this process. But in order to get rid of sin of our life, sometimes we have to take radical steps. Look in this same passage in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, verse number 29. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. That is radical amputation. What Jesus was teaching there was not literal self-mutilation, but what he was saying is that it's worth it to take radical steps in order to prevent yourself from sinning. Other people may think you're crazy for what you're doing, but if there's a particular temptation that you're having a hard time getting over and seeing consistent victory in that temptation, you need to do whatever it takes in order to safeguard yourself against that. Even if it means going to the most radical links it's worth it in order to make sure that you're not tempted with that. Romans 13 says that we're not to make provision for the flesh. Too many times we make it easy to sin and hard to live for God. We need to flip it around. We need to make it easy to live for God and hard for ourselves to sin. We need to put off the old man. That's the first step in the process of sanctification. But back in Ephesians chapter 4, we have the second step given to us in verse number 23, which says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So Roman numeral 2, we need to purify our minds. Purify our minds. Let's go back to the example of the dirty clothes that we were wearing to do the yard work. Is simply taking them off going to get them clean? No, it doesn't work that way. No, we then have to take those dirty clothes to the laundry room. 
and we're going to have to put them in the washing machine, and then we're going to have to add some soap and some water and let it run through the process in order to actually cleanse those clothes. And in the same way, it's not enough for us to just put off a bunch of bad things from our life. That's only one step in the process of sanctification. We then need to purify our minds. Now, why the mind? Why is there a focus here on our brains, on our thinking? It's because our mind, our thinking, is the spiritual battlefield. It's in our mind that Satan attacks us. It's in our mind that the decisions are made whether or not we're going uh, to live for God or we're going to follow the flesh. And it is, it is through the processes that go on in our minds that it determines whether or not we're going to live holy lives or we're going to live sinful lives. Because we live in a body that still suffers from the effects of sin, we have to take action in order to intentionally do what is right. Think of it this way. Uh, we all carry around these little computers with us nowadays, or at least most of us do, called smartphones. And whether it's a smartphone or a laptop or a desktop or any other type of computer, even the computers in our cars nowadays, they all have programs that run on them. Now, a program is nothing more than a code or a, a series of commands that tells this machine how to do certain things. So if you think of it this way, our minds had a certain program when we were born, and it was called the sin program. And with the sin program running on the computer of our brain, when we had an opportunity to sin, we were most likely going to do it. And whatever we did, it was affected by sin in some way or another. That was our default programming. Now, when we got saved, we received a new program. It's called the divine nature. It's called the Holy Spirit living in us, teaching us how to do what is right, teaching us how to follow God, working in us to produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all of these different things. However, the underlying sin program was not completely removed. It was just disabled. Our old man was crucified with Christ, Romans chapter 6 says. But given the opportunity, our flesh will go back and try and reactivate that sin program as often as it can. Instead, what we need to do is we need to focus on the new program, the new nature. And we need to follow what it tells us to do, not what the old program tells us to do. How many of you have ever been working on a computer or on your phone and you've had a pop-up come up, like an advertisement for something? Or maybe it was just a you know, like a, an alert, you need to do something with this program. Windows is terrible about this. About every three minutes, you need to update, you need to update, you need to update. You, know? you ever had that happen? You've had the little pop-ups come up? Well, you have those pop-ups come up, you've got to decide what to do with that. Do I click X and get rid of it? Do I click accept and go through the process? What do I do? Well, as you go through life, you're going to have these pop-ups come up in your mind. Some of them are the flesh saying, let's sin. Some of them are the Holy Spirit saying, let's do what's right. You choose what you do with that. And every time you choose to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, you're engaging in that continual process of purification. You are training your brain to follow the Spirit instead of the flesh. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we purify our minds then? By following the Holy Spirit. But number two, we purify our minds by soaking it in the Scriptures. By soaking it in the Scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The Holy Spirit is a, uses the word of God as a cleansing agent to purify us. Ephesians 5, 26, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. How are we going to renew our minds? How are we going to purify our minds? By following the Holy Spirit and by saturating our minds, soaking our minds with the Scriptures. What are some ways that we can saturate our minds with Scripture? Number one, here's a very good idea, memorize it. What did the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Memorize the Bible. I know that's a very old-fashioned idea, but it still works very well. Actually commit portions of Scripture to your memory. I was uh, reading this week about the playwright Fanny Crosby. I say playwright, hymn writer. I was reading a play about her. That's why I thought about that. And it was said that by the time she was uh, an adult, she had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament and the first five books of the New Testament. The entire things. She was blind. She didn't have... Easy access to Scripture any other way, so she committed it to memory. And look, I'm not saying that you need to go home and memorize the Pentateuch tonight. If you're able to do that, I'd like to know it. But I am saying this. Putting the Word of God in your heart is always a good idea. Memorize Scripture. But then secondly, if you're going to saturate your, your, your mind with Scripture, you need to meditate on it. Meditate on it. Think about it often. Sometimes it helps to put reminders Maybe little cards laying on your dresser, on a mirror somewhere, little scripture verses that remind you of the truth of the, uh, of the Bible to help you think about it and help you meditate on it. It's amazing how often that we just let our minds wander instead of intentionally controlling what we think about. Somebody said, you better not let your mind wander. It's much too small to be out on its own. We need to be intentional about what we think about. Don't let Facebook tell you what you need to think about. Don't let YouTube tell you what you need to think about. Don't let talk radio tell you what you need to think about. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what you need to think about. Meditate on the Word of God. And then if you're going to renew your mind, here's a very important part of this. You can't do without this. You need to apply the Scripture. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. James says, be a doer of it also. Don't just know what God says, do what God says. And through the process of obeying Scripture, your mind is being renewed. You're reprogramming yourself. You're, you are helping yourself to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit more and more, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. As he says, obey the Word of God. Do what is right. But we must purify our minds. There has to be a change in our thinking if we're going to be sanctified. The process of sanctification. We have to put off the old man. We have to purify our minds. And number three, the last step that we'll see tonight from verse number 24, we need to put on the new man. And once the dirty clothes of the old nature 
have been removed, and once there's been a good washing and a cleansing that's taken place, it's time to put on some clean clothes. If the old man was that which we did by nature before salvation, then what is the new man? It is that which the Holy Spirit leads us to do after salvation. Now we receive this new man, this new nature, at the moment of salvation, in the process known as regeneration, the new birth, or you might remember it as being born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, that except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. The word quickened means made alive. When you trusted Christ as as your Savior, you were made alive in Christ. Now, don't get the order out of place here. Some people mistakenly teach that regeneration happens first and then you're saved later. That's not a Bible doctrine. The Bible doctrine is that regeneration occurs when a person chooses to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you received a new nature. And with that new nature came new actions and new attitudes that you have a responsibility to put on in your life. Now, all of these action words in Ephesians are commands. We are being told that we must do these things. So we do not just sit back and expect the Holy Spirit to just dump these things on us, but we participate in the process by obeying what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And by the way, we're not talking about renovation. We're talking about regeneration. We're not talking about just turning over a new leaf. We're not talking about just cleaning up ourselves a little bit. We're talking about being an entirely new person because of what God has done for us. When God saved you, he didn't just polish you up. He didn't just dress you up in nicer clothes. He made you into a totally new creature with a totally new nature, a divine nature. Now, whereas the old man was characterized by deceitful lusts, verse 22, notice that the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness, verse 24. So the new man is characterized by righteousness and holiness. And the process of putting on the new man means that we are doing right on purpose. It's not an accident that we live for God and we do what is right. We are intentionally following the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Stop there for just a moment. Here we are commanded, Do not let sin reign in our bodies. 
do not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, anytime God commands us to do something, that implies that we have the ability and the responsibility to do it through His grace. And so God expects us not to allow sin to reign, not to give our members as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, verse 13 goes on, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This is what it looks like to put on the new man. It's to yield ourselves to God, to follow the Holy Spirit instead of the flesh, to be an instrument of righteousness, that is to do what is right. So when we are tempted to sin, We say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's what the old man would have me do. I'm going to do what is right instead. Let me give you two practical aspects of putting on the new man. First of all, in order to put on the new man effectively, you need to be replacing the old with the new. Here's a principle that some people struggle with and and therefore they struggle in their Christian life. They're really good about getting bad things out and not doing a lot of stuff they shouldn't be doing, but they never replace them. And so there's a void in their life. There's a gap. And so they're tempted to go back to that and now they have space for it in their life and it's easy for them to go back into that sin. Instead, we need to replace the bad with the good. Let me give you a very practical example. Let's say that you are often tempted to complain. Now, you may be convicted of that and you may make a sincere commitment to God that you are going to stop complaining. That's a good commitment to make. But yet you're going to find yourself frequently tempted to complain. You're going to notice things you don't like and because it's been your habit of complaining, thoughts are going to come to your mind to express your displeasure and how you don't like stuff and you're going to be tempted to complain. And as long as there's a void there, that's going to be constantly pounding you to go back to complaining. Instead of just saying, I'm not going to complain, what you should do is say, I'm not going to complain. Instead, I'm going to be grateful. And gratitude now becomes the replacement for the complaining and the ingratitude that you had before. So now when you're tempted to complain, you don't just think, I'm not going to complain. You think, I'm not going to complain. Instead, I'm going to give thanks. Do you understand the principle there? Jesus told the story about a man who had the demons and the demons were cast out of him. But then they came back and they found that the room was empty and swept and clean. And so the devil brought seven more devils back with him. And the, worst, the man was worse off at the end than he was at the beginning. Why? Because he didn't replace the space. He didn't put something else back in that space. And in your life, you've got to replace the old man with the new. So the first principle in putting on the new man, replace, replace the bad with the good. The secondly, reinforce, reinforce. I believe that one of the ways that we reinforce putting on the new man is through repetition. It's just a matter of doing it over and over again until we form good, godly habits. Now, it's more than just a habit. But tell me, is it wrong to make godliness a habit in your life? 
No, we need to be making godliness a habit. And so it's just simple repetition. In the early stages, if you're really struggling with a particular sin, it's going to be hard for you to consistently see victory over that. But as you repeat the process of saying no to the flesh, saying yes to the spirit, you repeat that over and over and over again, and you're reinforcing the good, you'll find that you'll see more consistent victory. But then also with reinforcing, think of it, another aspect of this is calling in reinforcements. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I mean, get people to help you. Accountability. We need that, don't we? I don't know about you, but I need accountability in my life. I need people around me who are going to be there for me to help keep me in check because I still struggle with sin. And I know a lot of times we think of accountability as some kind of a very formal setup. I have my accountability partner. We meet Mondays at 8 a.m. and we go over things. But I find that the best kind of accountability doesn't happen in that formal kind of a setup, but the best kind of accountability happens in godly friendships. That's the best kind of accountability. When people have the, the permission with one another to be open and honest so that when they see something in the other person's life, they say, hey, you know what? You need to check this. You need to watch out for this. I've seen this. It's been happening some kind of frequently in your life, and that concerns me. We need that from one another. And that's why surrounding ourselves with godly friends is so important. That's why the local church is so important. So we need to reinforce. What it comes down to is that we have to make an intentional decision that we're going to put the right things on in our life. And all of this is the process of sanctification. It's a process where we change little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, to become more holy, to become more like Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. The Lord said in verse 15, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. We're supposed to be living holy lives in all manner of conversation. And that's why we should be engaging in the process of sanctification. But throughout all of this, you may have noticed that there's one thing that I constantly insert in every part of this discussion. And that is that it is not our work and our effort and our strength that accomplishes the sanctification. But instead, it's the Holy Spirit's working in us. I put off the old man as I yield to the Holy Spirit's working. I am purified in my mind as I yield to the Holy Spirit teaching me. I put on the new man as I say yes to the Holy Spirit leading me in righteousness. Because without God, I can't do it. It's not just that without God, I'll, I'll have a harder time. No, that's not it. It's not just, well, without God, it's, 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 it, I'm probably going to stumble a little bit. No, without God, I can't do it at all. Jesus said in John 15, without me, ye can do nothing. And when it comes to the process of sanctification, my flesh wants to sin so bad that without the Holy Spirit, there would be no way that I could say no to the flesh and yes to what God wants me to do. I am totally and completely on God to do this. Depend on the Lord 
to do these things in your life. Depend on Him to help put off the flesh. Depend on Him to renew your mind. Depend on Him to put on the new man. And depend on Him for the process of sanctification. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You that You've given us in Your Word the exact steps that we need to take in order to be more like Christ every single day. It does not have to be a mystery. It does not have to be some poorly defined, vague concept. As we've seen tonight, it comes down to some very practical choices that we must make. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to remember this. Even tonight, as, as we leave this service, there will be opportunities for us to put off the old man, to be purified in our minds, and to put on the new man, and to be a part of this process of sanctification and to yield to the Holy Spirit's working. So Lord, help us to remember it. And may you be glorified as we change to become more like Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.